Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling headlines from the seafood industry. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief. I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. We are going to look this week at inflation, which is everywhere in all our lives, across the world, uh, and certainly in seafood. We are going to be looking at just a few species today and what we see uh, as some shocking trends that will uh, impact, no doubt, uh, the industry this year and in years to come. So we had an interview with a Rabobank analyst this week who talked about some of his forecasts and prognoses for both the global farm salmon industry as well as the farm shrimp industry. And the figures were striking. They are uh, they are projecting um, some significantly large jumps in uh, prices, um, not just this year, but but going forward. Um, according to the analyst, the amount of uh, of uh, salmon uh, of growth in salmon uh, farm salmon prices will push prices up to a level that have not been seen in five years since 2016. So we're talking about a major, major lift up in the amount of uh, in the amount of, of uh, money people are going to be paying for their salmon. Um, but again, also uh, same type of forecast for shrimp and other species. So let's start there and drill down a little bit. Um, John, uh, we've discussed uh, inflation. We're actually in the middle of writing more about inflation as we speak. Wages. Uh, packaging, um, you name it, everything's going up. But today, raw materials. So um, what were your takeaways from uh, from the Rabobank uh, analysis and, and some of the other stories that came out this week uh, about supply growth in, in salmon and other species? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, we'll start on the, on the consumer side with demand, which um, I, th- you know, I thought would kind of dampen as we emerge from COVID a little bit. And now that restaurants are open, you know, maybe not full force, but you certainly can go to a restaurant anytime you want uh, in the U.S. at least. Um, so I thought things would start to kind of balance out a little bit, but um, that the demand that was um, experienced at the retail level uh, for seafood during uh, 2020 and much of 2021 has really not dissipated. It's, it's clawed back a little bit, but not enough to, you know, affect um, overall demand for this. So um, on, on that end, it doesn't look like we're, we're going backwards as far as demand. So now it, on the supply side, can it keep up? Uh, it has been uh, to this point, uh, at least for salmon and shrimp and some of the major uh, species. Um, but prices have risen um, along along the line too, as well. So you're starting to wonder, you know, where uh, where things will head because. Uh, and I'll I'll let you delve into this a little bit because I think you you have a better handle on this than I do. But when you look at salmon in particular, um, farm salmon specifically, there's not a lot of room to boost production. Um, so what's that going to look like against uh, this surging demand? 
right? And, you know, supply growth actually is going to be negative in the first half of this year. We haven't seen that uh, for a long, long time. And that's primarily driven by Norway. Um, but uh, uh, this last year uh, did have a, a kind of a surprise jump in, uh, in growth, uh, Rabobank noted. Um, and so it, it's looking like we're actually going to be going the other direction. There's been a lot of warnings by market watchers and by analysts and by the industry itself that the amount of fish that is going to be uh, produced in the future is going to be limited from, uh, from uh, the salmon farming industry. There's simply not enough appetite in Norway, Chile, Scotland, Canada um, for growth um, because of regulations and, and uh, because of um, new additional restrictions on, uh, on all kinds of aspects of the industry to make it um, a bit more sustainable and more palatable to, uh, to the communities where they operate. You know, what we are also uh, seeing more and more is uh, while disease used to be a, a major X factor in the volume of, of fish that's available, we're now seeing that climate change is a major X factor. So we have seen warm water die-offs in New Zealand and uh, in Canada. Of course, we've got algal blooms in Chile. We've had them in Norway. Um, you know, th this is, um, this is not a, this is not a situation where supply is going to, um, is going to keep going and it's certainly not going to open up quickly. Chile is expected to grow, but that's going to take some time. Um, and it certainly doesn't offset where the, uh, where the output is in, in other regions where they, these are strict restrictions have been in place or where they're, um, where there's a very uh, good chance that they won't see the same kind of growth that they have in the past. So just to put some numbers behind it too, uh, John, while we're on salmon, um, you know, the, the U S market, um, continues to, to grow. It's the single largest market, uh, in terms of single, single largest country for salmon imports. So it's a pretty good litmus test and a pretty good measuring stick of what actually is happening with salmon prices. Uh, and I'll just give you some import numbers from 2021 versus 2020. The caveat there, of course, is that 2020 was um, the big full uh, uh, COVID year. But that said, one would think that with the economic impacts that we that we saw in 2021, that we might see some uh, we might see some demand falling off. We might see, um, you know, we, we we might see some turning away from higher price fish. That did not happen. So, looking at Chile, the largest exporter of salmon into the U.S. The value of salmon imports was up 33% in 2021, hitting $2.4 billion, uh, which is a, a very, very high mark. Um, and that is why the, uh, where, when the volume went up 7%. So we have 7% growth in volume imports, 33% growth in that value. So um, doing the math there, we have a fish that's a lot more valuable. And that goes across the board less so. Uh, from Canada, um, which is the second largest um, second largest exporter uh, behind Chile, Canada also saw its value climb twenty five percent. Its volume only rose twelve percent. Uh, Norway up twenty six percent by value and twenty one percent by volume. 
So across the board, you are seeing that uh, that salmon is costing more in 2021 uh, than it was than it did in 2020, and uh, and that extends um, for 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 quite some time. When you look at the actual prices, you know we're through week five, we were at um, knock uh, 73 uh, on average. That's a Nasdaq weekly salmon uh, index. And that is significantly higher than we saw in 2020, significantly higher than we saw uh, in 2021, 2018. I mean, this is, this is a high water mark for this week um, in six years. You know, this is according to the NASDAQ uh, figures. Now, this isn't the highest price that's been uh, hit in the past six years. Um, but boy, it's not very far off. The highest price recorded by at least by the NASDAQ, the average NASDAQ index um, is, is a slightly over 80 uh, knock per, uh, per kilogram. So, you know, we're at 73 and things seem to be pushing up. So I guess the question is, what is that, what is that mark? Where is that ceiling when consumers start to turn away? Um, Sam is a good benchmark because it is actively traded fresh in consistent uh, volumes. So it's a, it's a canary in the coal mine about, um, about seafood prices and, and what the market can bear. But John, what is, that, what is that ceiling if consumers continue to be willing to pay this much in a time when they're paying more for everything and theoretically or at least macroeconomically have less money in their pocket? Yeah, I mean, in salmon's favor, uh, the proteins that it competes against at retail in particular are also surging. Uh, beef is up, uh, you know, double digits uh, month to month uh, for a while throughout 2021. Um, and it's still very, very high compared to where where it normally sits. Uh, same with poultry and, and pork. So, uh, you know, it's... It's in a climate of, uh, in a competitive climate where at least the other proteins are either surging more from an inflation point of view or at least, uh, you know, at the same level. Um, but I, you and I were talking the other day. I think I try to take the lens out a little bit and look a little longer view at this. And you mentioned a, a little bit ago that. You know, net, traditional net pen salmon farming, it, it is the engine of production globally. It, it accounts for the lion's share of all the salmon produced. And as you said, it's kind of, it's capping out, you know, um, whether it be through regulation or whatever, um, the ability to grow net pen production globally is reaching uh, a cap. Now, the, the theory is that... Um, land-based and offshore and closed containment, those other forms of production will come in and, uh, you know, augment supply um, and production and, and keep it growing. Well, okay, uh, let's say that's true. There's still going to be many, many years between now and when those others come online in a significant way um, to fill that void. So what happens during those, the, those, those years when, you know, we can't, can't produce any more net pen salmon, uh, you know, by any, 
significant means, but we really don't have these other forms of production online at a scalable size to, to make a difference. That to me is an interesting question and what it could do to the price of salmon, um, you know, obviously could send it through the roof. Yeah, and, and it, you know, again, it, it could drive it could drive that innovation that you're talking about. That it could be that the the capex and uh, and and the um, the sort of um, outlay of, of 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 investment that you have to make to move things uh, to increase land base or offshore or close containment that might kick into higher gear. And I think that's what we might see as we start getting to this supply shock area uh, for for farm salmon, and uh, and it may come sooner than than we think. I mean, with this level of demand, uh, and without having um, you know without having places to grow, you're you're gonna hit a ceiling. I don't know what that ceiling is. You don't know what that ceiling is. Um, and it seems like consumers, as of now, haven't hit it. You know, and it could be also like let's think about what is what what other innovations this requires from an industry when you when you move away from a or when you have a commodity and you're trying to get increased value from it. That's when you start developing brands. That's when you start putting more money into value-added products. So there are ways to, that are beyond just straight volume to get additional value and to, to extend. Um, to extend the the uh, penetration of these products into the marketplace, so we, we but, are but seeing then, a lot of you know we're seeing a lot of growth and, and movement on that, which also has to do with the the consumer willingness to pay a higher price for for salmon. But but the one thing about that, Drew, is um, salmon has become. Oh, you know, people have said it before. This is not my. I'm not coining a phrase here, but it's become chicken-like in the sense that it's ubiquitous now. Consumers, when they think of seafood, they generally think of shrimp, kind of, but salmon now. Uh, oh, let's, you know, let's get salmon tonight. So, you know, value-adding and all that's good, but the market is such now that the demand just for the commodity product itself is is so strong and probably never going backward that you have to feed that beast uh, at that level uh, whether you do value adding or anything else there's still such a high demand just for the commodity uh, product itself you know fillets uh, in most cases that you know the supply so much of the supply is already just dedicated to that alone yeah Let, let's talk a little bit about shrimp just for a second um, because as I mentioned at the at the top, we we also are seeing uh, a lot of momentum for shrimp. Um, Robo Bank um, projected that we're we're going to see um, a significant uh, increase both in uh, in vol in output and demand, which are very closely linked because of the the short uh, turnaround time for raising shrimp versus salmon, which is um, over a year uh, year and a half. So you can see things move very, very quickly and react very, very quickly in the shrimp sector. But, you know, just looking around um, in uh, European and North American uh, markets, looking at the prices of shrimp, they also on the consumer side of things have just skyrocketed. I'm not sure who 
is willing to outlay this kind of money for a bag of shrimp, but somebody out there is willing to do it um, clearly. But you're talking, you know, over over twenty U.S. dollars um, for for bags of shrimp at at, at times. Um, you know, for for what would maybe. Mm, give you maybe a meal and a half, two meals possibly. Um, and that's just your, that's just your, your, uh, your protein. But is there any feeling, you know, on, on, on your side of thinking, kind of taking the same logic on, as, as salmon, what kind of shrimp do you think it has the same elasticity as as, uh, as salmon does? Do you think that, that, um, that it could reach some ceiling and bounce way back or does it play in a different, uh, different sphere? Shrimp is kind of interesting, and it was mentioned in the article you referenced that shrimp, the shrimp sector globally can turn on a dime. And I thought that was a brilliant description of it um, because we'll take, we'll take the recent year or so. Um, shrimp production has been great in Asia in South America. It's, it's just been, you know, humming right along. Imports into the U.S. are almost hit 900,000 metric tons uh, in 21, up from 745,000 metric tons in 2020. I mean, these are, you know, that's a 20% jump. That's a massive jump. But the market absorbed it all, and it absorbed it all at higher prices, as you mentioned. So we're in that same scenario where, this demand side, we've never seen anything like this. This demand side, which, you know, strengthened at retail during the, the height of COVID because people stayed home, blah, 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 has continued at retail for the most part, but now has the whole food service uh, demand side pouring in as well. So it's, however, <laughs> You and I have been around long enough to know that shrimp farmers, tend, when the prices are good, when they're getting good prices for their shrimp, they tend to plant more for coming seasons. And oftentimes the result from that is then they have too much. <laughs> and then they flood the market and drive the prices down and... Um, so that dynamic, as as I mentioned earlier, the industry can turn on a dime. That dynamic uh, is out there in my mind, kind of sitting out there. Whether it it becomes reality, I don't know. You know, uh, I can't say. But um, as long as demand is where it is, uh, you know, they're they're in good shape. I just. I'm fascinated by this demand, I, you know, and it's not just here. I, you know, we report that demand throughout Europe for seafood took off during COVID and remains, you know, above 2019 levels. And just the other day, we had a report uh, out of Russia where <laughs> the same dynamic is happening. I, I, you know, I'm just hard pressed to understand it besides you know what everybody has been saying um, they got comfortable cooking seafood at home and they it's healthy and blah 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 now, all true absolutely all true but does that explain this explosion in demand completely i i don't know 
You know, it's it's interesting. I think um, Seafish, which is a trade association for the UK seafood industry, um, uh, releases uh, monthly stats, really, really um, useful, interesting stats uh, on retail sales. And uh, just to this just to this point about what consumers will will pay and what they're willing to pay. You know, there there's sometimes some flashing red lights here. Um, you know, it, it's hard to get all the information that you need from every single market. Um, Nielsen tracks a lot of this. IRI does. It's the, those those groups both both have um, a lot of this information, but it's difficult market to market to drill down and interpret. So, just looking at Seafish's stats, which are really nicely organized. Um, let's look at COD, which also is seeing a massive jump uh this year versus last year um again because of demand it's it's fresh fresh season in in norway for cod and uh and and you're seeing prices continue to rise over the past over the past year so let's take a look at cod for example you're seeing the price per kilogram is up this is across the entire cod category price per kilogram is up around two percent uh, um, to, to, to versus, um, versus on the, the, uh, the volume sales side of a negative 2%, uh, uh, decline. So that tells us that yes, consumers are willing to pay more if they're up on, you see frozen cod prices per kilogram are up 1.6%, uh, chilled cod up 1.4%. Um, frozen, uh, frozen fish fingers, cod fish fingers up 4.6%. And you look at that and you say, yeah, this is, this is a really promising thing. We are seeing uh, price per kilogram rise. We're seeing more, um, more willingness to purchase these products at retail. But let's take the example of the of the cod fish fingers now there can be a lot of different factors in, as to why this this happens so we should have some asterisks here because there a lot of different things can happen products can get delisted etc cetera, etc cetera. but let's take the frozen uh, cod uh, fingers or frozen uh, fish sticks basically made out of cod um, fish fingers in the UK fish sticks in the US so We've got, uh, uh, as I said, 4.6% rise there in price per kilogram. But then look at the uh, the overall volume sales, and those have gone down very, very sharply. So you've got volume sales down 20%, and um, that just says, okay, yes, uh, more per kilogram. How long can you continue to squeeze that out? You actually saw as well over the past 50, uh, 52 weeks, you saw the overall value fall of uh, sales of, of uh, frozen fish fingers on cod, which tells you, you know, again, people are buying less of it. So even if your price per kilogram remains inflated and remains higher, it doesn't mean things are necessarily going in the right direction. Um, there's a lot of red on these statistics about, um, retail sales, uh, in terms of the, of the volumes. And that could be a little bit of, uh, of a warning sign for the, the industry and a lot of different, um, on a lot of different species. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, again, it's just, 
we are in this uh, amazing pattern of you know uh, strong demand, strong prices, strong production. Uh, it you don't see it very often, and um, it's just hard to predict what what will change first. You know, will and it's different for every species, as you mentioned, but. I, again, my fascination at the moment is with this demand and um, what that looks like eight months from now as compared to today. Will it be as strong? I mean, we saw some weakening at the tail end of 2021 um, uh, for for certain, you know, fresh and, and frozen items. Uh, can slacked off a while ago, but it's still, you know, uh, fairly strong compared to 2019. But at what point will something significantly change on the demand side? I don't know, but that's kind of where I'm watching things right now. Because production, you know, it's going to vary year to year depending on, on things. But uh, this demand, uh, like I said, we've not seen before. So it's fascinating in the sense of like, how long can this wonderful thing last? <laughs> Well, you know, what goes up, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll, we'll just have to see. And I, I think this is going to be an interesting year for it because inflation just on a, on a macro scale is in the headlines and everyone is increasingly aware of, uh, of costs going up and, and just food inflation in general. Does that lift the tolerance for people to pay the uh, premium uh, typically that you pay for seafood versus, say, chicken or, um, or um, some forms of beef. I don't know. And as you said, w this volume and this, this demand, is it coming from just people getting more comfortable eating it and buying it at stores? There's some reports that that's kind of what's happening. Is it on more menus? There's still a lot of, a lot of questions to be asked, like you said, about this, this demand. But it appears that it is it is in some segments holding. So overall, um, the British Frozen Food Association, so this isn't drilled down specifically onto, onto frozen fish, but in general, um, in the UK, the frozen food sector uh, did well uh, last year, continued to hold its gains. Uh, and, and it doesn't appear that there's any big drop off uh, that we might have expected. I think canned seafood, probably we're going to see that get uh, come back down to earth. I think we already have, John, isn't that correct? So um, so I don't expect to see uh, the same kind of uh, enthusiasm for, um, for every single kind of product. But in general, it does seem that for now, if the seafood industry plays its cards right, they can expect um, some continued... Uh, so continued strong wind in their sales. Yeah, I mean, again, we've said it on many podcasts, but again, who thought the best, who would ever have thought the best marketing for seafood um, would be a global pandemic? But there you have it. That, that got the ball really rolling. Strange, but appears true. Well, mm -hmm. let's wrap it up there. Uh, so next week, we on uh, the 17th have our seafood logistics event. Um, that's free to attend. You just need to go on to interfishevents.com and you can find a link to the seafood shipping and logistics forum uh, and sign up there. It is at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, 3 p.m. Uh, London, 4 p.m. CET. 
Um, so uh, register and uh, and uh, and join us for that. We've got a great lineup of speakers uh, that are going to give us some some ideas of what's going to happen uh, in the supply chain in the coming in the coming year. We've got Tua Barfud. He's the global head of fish and seafood uh, cargo at Maersk Line, one of the world's largest shipping companies. Um, we also are joined by Morton Jensen of uh, Insula, whitefish supplier. Uh, Glenn Clapp, he's a head of procurement and logistics at Regal Springs. Michael Lieberman, uh, who's uh, who's with the uh, F, uh, FOA and Sun Corporation, uh, and then also uh, Stora Enso, that uh, is a sponsor of the event, and they'll be talking about sustainable shipping as well. So it's it's going to be a really really interesting look. We've got uh, John Evans, our correspondent, uh, who's going to be uh, who's going to be moderating this. John. Uh, really has been doing a fantastic job um, covering the supply chain shocks over the past year. So I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing the discussions and, and learning uh, learning about where things are headed as well. So again, that is on February 17th uh, on Thursday, uh, 3 p.m. London time, uh, interfishevents.com if you want to sign up. And then don't forget, intrafish.com is where we are 24-7 uh, with uh, reporters in bureaus around the world. Uh, we're able to get you news from uh, every, every division and every area of the, of, the, uh, of the supply chain. So you can get us there. You can sign up for our newsletters. Uh, just click our menu and you can see our whole host of newsletters there. And then social media. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. We have an intrafish group there. We have a seafood and aquaculture group. Uh, so get on there, join them, uh, join the discussion. Uh, that's where we have a lot of great, uh, uh, great, uh, chats and uh, a lot of our great coverage. We, uh, we let, uh, users know, uh, on that channel. So, uh, thanks all for joining us. Thank you, John. And we'll speak to you next time. <laughs>